welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. The Magic Fall in New York last night. Still looking for that first dub of the year. And they'll try again Wednesday night. That'll be October 26th in beautiful, sunny Cleveland, Ohio. They'll take on the Cavaliers. 7 o'clock for the tip. And I'll have the pregame show for you at 6.30 all along the Magic Audio Network. And we bring in Tim Elkhorn, now the voice of the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, alongside Jim Jones. My guest for the program this week, and, and Tim, you and I met uh, at league broadcasting meetings in New York. We have we've ended up in very similar places, but we have very very different uh, paths to get here. So I want to get into that a little bit. I obviously want to talk about the Cavaliers. They're sort of taking uh, the city by storm. It seems like I am a Cleveland native myself. Um, just introduce us to your, to to you a little bit and tell us a little bit about your story, how you got where you are, Tim. Well, it's a long story, Jake. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, as you said, it's been a circuitous route to the Joe Tate Perch. Uh, An odyssey. In- An odyssey of sorts. Yes, it certainly has. Uh, I'm not a native Ohioan. I actually uh, was born in upstate New York and then lived in the New England area uh, until I was a junior in high school. And that's when I came to Ohio. Uh, My dad was in the newspaper business, so he took a job with the newspaper uh, west of Cleveland. And But since the time... Wait, Tim, they used to put the news on papers? Yes, yes. Can you believe that? Uh, (laughs) And and that newspaper is still doing very well. And There's kind of an interesting story that goes with that, but... um, Which paper was it real fast? It was the the Illyria Chronicle. Yes, of course. Which owned the radio station that I ended up working for, for about 27 years until I got the Cavs job. So it really, correct. Yeah. It all came full circle, but uh, Jake, from the time I was a little guy, I mean, six, seven, eight years old, uh, I knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. I just loved listening to games on radio. And I thought, boy, these guys have the greatest jobs in the world. They get to go to the games for free and watch whether it's football, basketball, baseball, and so uh, that was my dream. And as I said, uh, when I moved to Ohio as a teenager, I, I wanted to pursue that passion. And so I uh, ended up going to Kent State University. I'm a golden flash and right. got my degree in telecommunications and then started working in small market radio. Uh, there was a radio station uh, in the western part of Cleveland out in Oberlin. And I worked there for five or six years and then transitioned to WEOL. Uh, in Illyria, which I just mentioned, the Illyria Chronicle, and it's the same ownership group. So here I was being dragged to Ohio as a teenager, uh, and now I end up working for the same company that my dad took the job with. So, uh, But I was at WEOL in Illyria for a long time, 27 years, and uh, did a myriad of sports uh, on the air, doing play-by-play, and really had, a, a again, that passion for calling games. But uh, I also kind of evolved on the business side of radio. I was in sales and uh, became the sales manager. And then I was the general manager of the station. I was actually running the radio station on a day-to-day basis. And then in September of 2019, uh, very sadly for the Cavs organization, their iconic television voice, uh, Fred McLeod passed away suddenly. And WEOL was a Cavalier affiliate station, uh, still is. And so I knew the Cavalier organization very well. I knew their people. And they had had me do some things with them through the years. 
And so when Fred passed, uh, a gentleman who was doing radio, John Michael, who was a terrific announcer, uh, John transitioned over to the television side, and John is now the TV voice of the Cavaliers. And I was asked to come on board and call the Cavs games uh, on the radio side. So it truly was a, a dream come true. Uh, again, it happened under sad circumstances uh, that the Cavalier organization uh, and Fred McLeod were synonymous. So, uh, but again, you, you've got to move on. And so the, the Cavaliers elected to bring me on board to do the radio when John switched over to television. And so I'm now entering my fourth year. I read your, your bio. You used to be able to pipe in 3WE from from where you grew up and, and you used to, to listen to Johnny Most games as well. What geographical oddity, and I realize what AM radio, the, the beauty of AM radio is that on a, on a clear night, it'll travel clear across uh, yes. hundreds and hundreds of miles. But that is, you must have been in that sweet spot, Tim, to be able to listen to Joe Tate and Johnny Most growing up. I mean, no wonder he ended up a radio broadcaster. Well, that's a that's a great story, Jake. I kind of I get goosebumps when you when you sit there and share that that you've uh, you've read my bio. Yeah, living in New England, uh, and I never was a, a Red Sox or a Celtic or a Bruin fan, Patriots. I I never really got into that. I'm a, I'm a Bills diehard. Actually, I'm a Buffalo Bills okay. mafia guy. But um, but living in New England, they had great announcers, uh, Gil Santos and uh, Bob Wilson did the Bruins. And of course, Johnny Most on the basketball side with the Celtics. So I grew up listening to Johnny and then uh, again, try to weave the story together. As, as you know, uh, well, you're a lot younger than me, but we didn't when I was a kid, uh, we didn't have, you know, the, the podcast and the streaming and so forth. It was just sitting there listening to a radio. And so I would go up and down the dial and uh, I pulled in this guy yeah. out of Cleveland on 1100 AM and uh, Joe Tate. And ironically, the Celtics were on 1030 AM. So they were right next to one another on the radio dial, 1030. And you That's just awesome. kind of go to the right and there was 1100. And so I spent so much time listening to Johnny Most on 1030 and Joe Tate on 1100, the station out of Cleveland that to a kid in New England seemed like a million miles away. And I'm like, this is so cool. I get to listen to this guy in Cleveland. And to fast forward the story and, and shorten it for you somewhat, uh, after moving to Ohio, and as I said, I went to Kent State, my very first media pass, my first credential that I ever got uh, to cover a game while I was at Kent was a Boston Celtics Cleveland Cavalier game at the Richfield Coliseum. And I walked into the Coliseum thinking, I'm king of the world. I got a media pass. And I went into the media room and Joe Tate and Johnny Most were sitting together having a, a cup of coffee, as play-by-play -play guys do before a ball game, just talking about their teams and so forth. And uh, I walked up. I don't know what prompted me to walk up to this day. I wonder how my life would have taken a different turn if I hadn't. But I walked up and introduced myself to both of them and shared that I was at Kent, but had listened to both of them growing up in New England. And uh, Joe invited me to sit down and join them. And it's funny, Jake, at first I declined, like, no, <laughs> you guys continue your conversation. Oh. And, and Joe was like, nope, Timothy, you sit down and join us. And That's uh, fantastic. So I did. And so they got up to go do the game. And Joe said to me, so, 
Timothy from Kent State, are you calling baskets? And I said, yeah, you know, Mr. Tate. I said, Mr. Tate, I, I've <laughs> called some basketball. And he says, I want to hear your tapes. And so I gave Joe some tapes and a friendship and a relationship de developed from there. But wow. it's uh, that's a true story. And Joe, you know, sadly he passed, but uh, he remembered me. He remembered meeting me that night and, um, you know, it all, it all came full circle. It's a, it, as you said, it's a, it's an odyssey. That's for sure. That is, um, that's such a great story. And, and it's, I can picture it too, Tim. And you know, the beauty of, of, of being a radio play-by-play -play broadcaster, I can picture for whatever reason, the Coliseum is, I, I, I'm sure most of our listeners never step foot in that building, but the, it, the color inside the building was this late 80s yellow, right? <laughs> like, like, I'm not sure if it, you know, I watched the, I, I watched the Showtime show on HBO that features your broadcast partner, Jim Jones, and, and it's, it, they do such a great job of sort of capturing the mood. And I just picture smoke and I just picture <laughs> yellow when I think of the Richfield Coliseum. I, and I, I could imagine, do you remember what year it was when you met, when you met Johnny and Joe? I do. It was my my senior year at Kent State, so it was '85. Uh, it was the spring of '85, wow. and uh, so I graduated from Kent in '85. And Joe uh, Joe and I met a couple of more times uh, in the media room up at the Coliseum. And uh, he said, "After you graduate, you keep in touch. I want to I want to know where you end up and what you're doing." Um, and a very very special relationship between. Uh, Joe and I developed off of that. Joe was, um, gosh, we uh, we talked about it. We shared stories. I mean, I I have a similar story. I met Joe, but when I met him, it was 2011 or 2010. It was, I, I think LeBron had just left, so he was going into his final season. So that would have been 10. And and I met him at league broadcasting meetings. It was very similar. I sat down, and I've shared this before. I sat down, and I'm like, you know hundred feet tall. I'm the Orlando Magic's radio producer, and I'm one of the youngest people at these meetings. And of course, I grew up listening to Joe. For those who don't know, um, I'm a Cleveland native myself. And so I sit there. We had just gotten there. I'm with Dennis Newman. Um, and we sit down and I say, and it, it was the oh, welcome luncheon. And Joe's mm -hmm. sitting there and Dennis sits down next to him. And I said, Mr. Tate, just like you did. I said, Mr. Tate. <laughs> Uh, my name is Jake Chapman. I grew up in Chardon and grew up listening to you. And you're one of the reasons I got into this business. And he said, don't put that on me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and that was so perfect. And I'll tell that story for the rest of my life because I, and I, I think a lot of people can relate to feeling like, you know, a broadcaster that you grew up listening to, whether it's Joe or Jim Donovan, Tom Hamilton, even Casey Coleman going back. Um, for some of the other voices of, of my childhood, Herb Spore even. But, but with Joe, it was, he was so, um, his, his call, everything was so us. I don't even know really, really how to describe it, but it's, it, it, Cleveland is such a provincial place and Joe was so ours, just like Tom Hamilton is. Um, and I think Jim Donovan at this point that it was, he's magnanimous. He was, it, it was, it was a, a, a life-changing moment for me just sitting down and having him address me directly because I, because I felt like I knew him. I, I, I'd, I'd spent so much time listening to him describe things. 
um, that it was really, really special. Can you just describe what made Joe such a great broadcaster? Um, if, if there's any sort of secret sauce or anything wow. that hasn't been said about him before, or, or, or maybe something we don't necessarily know about, about Joe, the person I actually had him on a Pat Williams radio show years and years ago and got to listen to him talk, you know, be interviewed. And he didn't really, from what I understood, enjoy being interviewed. I think Pat had to pull some Pat Williams clout in order to get him on at that point, because he'd already retired. Um, just, just explain for people, especially people down here in Florida who might be listening, what Joe meant to us and, and who Joe was. Well, first of all, as you said, uh, perhaps the folks in Orlando and your market not familiar with Joe or this iconic status uh, that he has not only in Cleveland, but throughout the NBA uh, Hall of Fame inductee. He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame a few years back and deservedly so. And as I mentioned in New York, uh, Jake, when we were at the broadcasters meeting, you know, there's this thing now about, you know, the Mount Rushmore of this and the Mount Rushmore of that. And uh, Joe Tate certainly belongs on the Mount Rushmore of the great NBA broadcasters. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Chick Hearns, the Johnny Most, you know, those type of people, Al McCoy, still doing it at 90 years old out <laughs> in Phoenix. But uh, Joe Tate is one of the greatest of the greats uh, to call NBA basketball. So, uh, he's, as you said, this iconic figure uh, here in Cleveland and really around the league. But I shortly after Joe passed, uh, you know, I did a slew of interviews because people knew the, the relationship that Joe and I had. And, you know, one of the things that I found myself saying in these interviews was never was a guy more aptly named than Joe Tate because he was the average Joe. Oh, and he never... He never forgot his roots and he never forgot where he came from. He was a small market guy that did high school sports and college sports and worked his way up. But he always called the games for the fans. Uh, he, he never got into the corporate side of basketball and all that. Uh, he loved the game of basketball for what it was. And so that's why the fans related to him, because he would talk about eating a hot dog while doing the game or, you know, having some cookies that were brought to him by a listener. And uh, he was just an average Joe. His name fit him so well. And yet he was this unbelievable play-by-play -play guy, painted the picture uh, like nobody that I've ever heard before. I mean, you literally could see the game yep. as Joe Tate was calling it. Uh, his use of language, his use of verbs and nouns, and he had a real staccato style to him. Yeah. And he would inject this humor into the game. Uh, I did an interview with one of our radio affiliates this morning, and they actually played uh, a cut of Joe talking about the noise level in the arenas. And it was absolutely hysterical because he was just going on and he finally hollers out, well, somebody turn it down. <laughs> I mean, it was just a riot. So he would, he would inject this humor and yet his play by play was just pure gold. And so, uh, and you're right. He didn't like to talk a lot about himself um, but I got to know Joe very, very well, and he was a very special guy, but he has this legendary status, uh, in Cleveland. And when I got the Cavs job, uh, not only in Cleveland, Jake, but around the league, that's what really stunned me that he was 
beloved in every market that I went to that first year. And of course, Joe was still alive at that point. You know, you know, Joe. Oh, I know Joe very well. Oh, how's he doing? We love Joe. Every single market. It was really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an element of, you know, it, it is a little bit of a brotherhood. I mean, Mike Breen reached out to me when I got the, the radio play-by-play job, and I it just it stunned me that uh, that it, it's, you know, it is that small. It's a, it's a very fraternal group, but there are so many, so many people, Tim, you and, um, gosh, David, David Locke out in Utah and RC, who runs the broadcast in Golden City. Everybody, I, 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 I had a helping hand everywhere I looked. Um, and, and a phone number to text and, you know, here's a piece of advice. And so it, it was really important to me. And, and I think, you know, I think that agenda, not agenda, but that, that was sort of set by people like Joe, um, who, you know, when you go back, there's, you know, there, there ain't many of us and there's a whole lot of people, um, there's a lot of people listening to us. And so I think it's, you know, it, 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 it what's good for the goose, uh, good for the gander type of situation. Like, let's all help each other out, make the broadcast as good as it can be, and you know, and then we'll go our separate way, and we'll see you next year. And so, I just, I don't know, it meant a lot to me that uh, everybody had such such nice things to say. And then I do think that there's, um, you know, there's a, there's some legacy there. I, I think Tim, you know, I don't know if you want to admit it, but I think the reason Joe, you and Joe struck up a relationship is because he saw. Some Joe and you, you know, I think your path probably reminded him of himself. You sound like him, Tim. I mean, you've got, a, you've got, you've got a, you've got a similar delivery to him, and and that, and I say that say as the utmost compliment. Um, no, I think it's it, it's pretty special that that you had that relationship, and I'm sure it was extremely important to you. And I think it's very interesting, Tim. And this will be the last thing because I'm sure you don't like to talk about yourself that much either, but this. I, it's interesting that you at one point were like, you know what? I'm very comfortable staying with WEOL and covering high school sports. Like it, it, it wasn't the end all be all. You had to end up where you are now. Um, well, life is funny that way, isn't it? As soon as you got to let, like, let go of something, then boom, it sort of hits you over the head. Yeah. I mean, I love high school sports, Jake. I love it. I and mean, it's part of my DNA. And, you know, when you do it for so long, there's a real passion to it. And so I still go out to WEOL during the course of a season. And, you know, I'll call a couple of high school football games. And then in the spring, uh, once we're done on the basketball side, I'll do some some baseball or softball. Uh, And Joe would always do that with me. He would always come out and uh, he loved it. And so I think we both share that passion for high school sports. But yeah, I was very comfortable at WEOL. Uh, in fact, uh, when when Fred passed and, and the Cavs reached out to me as far as, you know, can you get us some tapes or some audio? It's not even tapes anymore and a resume. I'm thinking, I don't have anything. I wasn't job searching. I wasn't looking to move on. Right. So, uh, you know, that became a challenge in its own right. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think Joe saw a little bit uh, of him in me. And certainly, uh, you know, I know he was very, very proud when I got the job. And as you said, Joe certainly influenced my broadcast style. He would always say, you know, listen, you know, I copied from people. I did some things that I heard other people do, but you need to do it in your own way. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before his real staccato, you know, short sentences. And so, because you don't have a lot of time during a basketball broadcast. Right. So, 
in that sense. And you know, I mentioned going around the NBA and the ultimate compliment for me and you deal with road engineers who have been in this forever. And they'll yeah. say after a game, boy, I hear some Joe in you. I can hear where he influenced you. And, and that's the ultimate compliment. But to your point, the NBA broadcasting fraternity is one that is very, very tight. Uh, you know, those teams compete like crazy on the floor and, you know, you're, you're calling for the magic and I'm calling for the Cavs and Al McCoy's calling for the Suns, but we're all rooting for each other. We want each other to have great broadcast and and really make NBA basketball sound as good as it can sound on the radio. So, uh, and that was very, very uh, good news for me when I joined the league, because I'm sure there were a lot of people looking around going, this guy went from high school basketball to <laughs> NBA basketball. Uh, but, you know, once we would talk and share stories, uh, they were incredibly helpful to me. Yeah, well, I went from producing, <laughs> producing at House and Pray and Post. Um, and like I said, you know, we, we took different paths, very different paths. I mean, I worked in the NBA essentially my entire career. I was 25 as the radio producer. And I was, Tim, I didn't want to be on air. My boss sort of shoved me uh, from behind the board to in front of the mic because he needed me. <laughs> and it's often often the way this works in this business. So, um, but it's, uh, no, it's, and it, the, the last thing is, I think probably you had to have been so much better prepared for the experience that you got um, because, of, because of that work that you had put in. Because of because when you're doing a high school game, and, and, and I also read this in your bio, you know, there are times, and you and I were talking off air about this, I know because everything's new right now, and there are times where I'm struggling, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying to build my own system and, um, and sort of process and protocol. Um but every time I go through something really difficult, whether it's a technical issue or, you know, I, I, I screw up a call, I, I get off the air and I say, OK, tomorrow I'm going to be better for it. And you, you mentioned in the article I was reading anyways, um, that there were high school games that you called where, you know, you're writing down the names and numbers before the game. Right. There's no <laughs> rosters. There's no notes. There's none of that stuff. Um, I think that's fantastic. Like the only thing you can tell a young broadcaster is get through it. There you go. Uh, young and, and then tomorrow you'll be a better broadcaster for it. Right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, it's amazing. As I said, I go back and uh, do some high school games for WEOL and uh, I share with them. You have the same issues that we have. You know, I get more guys around me to help me solve some of these issues. But, right. you know, in the end, radio is radio. And when I was at WEOL, one of the things that you know, I would I would strive for is just because this is a high school football game or a high school basketball game doesn't mean I can't try to make it sound like an NFL game or an NBA game. So bring, bring some production elements into it and and have a lot of energy and all that. I mean, football's football, basketball's basketball, and I'm calling it at a higher level now, but I have a passion for play-by-play. -play. Right. And so if you sit me down with sophomores, juniors, and seniors in high school or sit me down and have me calling Darius Garland and Karis LaVert and Donovan Mitchell, it's the passion of play-by-play -play that should get you energized. Um, perfect segue. It's like you do this for a living. We've got a few minutes left. Let's talk Darius Garland. Let's talk Donovan Mitchell. First off, Darius Garland in that eye. Do we have any sort of an update on that? What a bummer that uh, – an injury like that, which is sort of freakish. You don't ever see 
an eye poke uh, end up the way Darius has ended up? Do we have an update on him? He's day-to-day. Uh, we'll see as far as tomorrow night's matchup with the Magic. Thank goodness uh, there was no structural damage. Uh, he had a laceration uh, under the eyelid. Think about that. Right. Uh, but fortunately, there wasn't a scratched cornea or anything like that. So basically, the eye is swollen shut. Um and once, if they physically or literally manually open the eye with their fingers, he can see. Uh, so they're waiting for the swelling simply to go down. And he looks like Chuck Wepner after Ali got done with him at the Richfield Coliseum. So they got to they gotta get that swelling to go down. And then once the swelling goes down, he'll be able to open his eye on his own without Gosh. people having to force it open. Uh, so he's making progress. The swelling is receding, but not good enough yet uh, for him to play. So we'll see about tomorrow night. But again, thank goodness it's not a long-term injury with DG. Tomorrow night, I'm pretty sure uh, out in Chardon, Ohio, there will be the television broadcast will be on Tim. I'm uh, Unfortunately, my mom and my dad will likely be listening to my radio call on NBA League Audio. Podcast. As they should, Jake. As they should, but they will be watching the game. They'll try to sync it up. Um, my dad texted me the other night. He said, first off, he's got a budding bromance with Robin Lopez. He's, he's, he's a huge Rolo fan. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, we had him for a year last year. That guy is, he's a vibes guy. He's a great locker room guy, but Mitchell, I mean, people are just over the moon about watching this guy. And when I was in Detroit, we had him in for pre-workouts, um, for pre-draft workouts. And he had a small media contingent of us, you know, for, it was, it was before the draft eating out of the palm of his hand. I mean, this kid is at that point, this is, you know, after what, two years at Louisville, right. he was, you could tell he grew up in the Mets organization. He, everything just, nothing felt, he felt like a superstar. And I didn't even know how good a player he was going to be. I just knew I wanted that guy to be able to interview him every day after practice. Um, just tell me about Mitchell, the guy, before we get into Mitchell, the player. Well, as you said, uh, just a terrific guy. Uh, he's been hiding in plain sight out there in Utah. You don't see the jazz a lot on TNT and ESPN. So he really hasn't gotten that national exposure, but uh, to your point, Jake, a, a great interview, very calm, cool, collected. Uh, he's just a great guy. Um, and as you said, uh, the city of Cleveland has quickly embraced him and why not after games of 31, 32 and 37, uh, he's already been to a Brown Steelers game and busted the Steelers guitar. And, yeah. Uh, he and guardians pitcher, Tristan McKenzie are good friends. So he was at a couple of guardians playoff games. So he's quickly embraced the city and the city loves and is going to get to love him for a long time. He still has three more years on his contract, uh, He's an elite guy, and certainly uh, he will fit very, very well here in Cleveland. Last thing, um, Evan Mobley, what's what's the ceiling there? Well, it's interesting. A great feature was done on Evan Mobley a, a few days ago here in the Cleveland market that uh, the Cavaliers, when they work out with Evan, constantly use the term Hall of Fame. Yeah. They think that's his ceiling. Um, he is an incredible talent. And he hasn't even scratched the surface. Uh, this young man is going to be an elite NBA basketball player. Uh, and he's a very quiet guy. Uh, boy, it's hard to read Evan sometimes. But uh, that fire that burns within shows up on the floor. He plays with a lot of passion. He can do just about everything. Early on in the season, he's been struggling, Jake, on the offensive end of the floor. I think they're trying to get him to do some different things, and so uh, he's trying to get comfortable doing that. But 
this young man, you know, as the Cavs are saying, Hall of Fame. He has superstar written all over him. I think He's he special. can. I, when he came out, I, I I said he doesn't. They, they don't look alike, and offensively, their games are very different. But defensively, I think he can impact the game like a Duncan did, or like a Garnett. Like, and and again, it's different. But but to have that ability to protect the rim and then to be able to switch out, and especially in the, today's NBA, I mean, he could be a defensive player of the year, like this year, like like that soon. I think he's I think he's got that kind of capability. He can be. Boy, he, he absolutely could be a Hall of Famer. It's interesting you say that, Jake, because when the Cavs drafted Evan, uh, Jim Jones had watched him a lot at USC, and the, the initial comparisons with Evan were to Chris Bosh. Right. Uh, and Jim Jones said, no. He goes, he reminds me more of Duncan. So it's interesting you say Are that. Are you serious? Come yeah, on. I, Jim, thought that, no. I thought I was the only one who saw no. that. Well, hey, Jim Jones knows his basketball, I, I, so you do as yeah, well. there you go. I love, but he I love says, some Jonesy. And then he also said, and when he develops his offensive game, he'll be as good as Durant. Mm. So Jim Jones used the Duncan Durant comparison. Okay, yeah, Ooh, so, that is. <laughs> and, and Jim knows talent. And so, again, that offensive game needs to come along. But as you said, on the defensive end, he is just tremendous. Okay, last, last thing, because I also grew up watching Jim Jones and Michael Ray Guy on the old Sports Channel broadcasts. Um <laughs> Jonesy, what's it like working with Jim uh, Jones? I, I love that guy. Jim is awesome. Uh, two great things about Jim. Number one, uh, to have him as a color commentator, as a guy that not only is a Cavs legend, but he's an NBA champion. And you <laughs> tend to forget that he went to L.A., played with the Lakers, and he was at that Showtime reunion out in Hawaii a few weeks ago and came back telling a gazillion stories. I'm sure. Uh, but he knows championship-level basketball. So for him to connect with our listeners, not only as a former Cav who's beloved in the market, but as an NBA champion who knows what it takes to win, that's one thing. And then again, he, big guy, but he really, you know, you can tell Jim I said this. He's kind of a big teddy bear. Once you get to know him, oh, he has an effervescent personality. He's a lot of fun. We, we have a good time on the air. I mean, we know when to be serious, but we also know when we can have some fun and joke around. And uh, we did this whole Johnny Carson, Ed McMahon skit the other night, which was just <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Uh, so working with Jim, you get both of it. You get that unbelievable knowledge of the game, and then you get a personality that's perfect for radio. Well, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to track that down. I'm gonna have to find an air check. You know, people. When I worked in Detroit, people used to tell me Rick Mahorn was like a big teddy bear, and I said he's more like a grizzly or a polar or, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, Rick Mahorn, let me tell you, he was a he was an unbelievable force on the floor, and then. Jones put him up to a prank my very first year in the league and Mahorn came up and was scowling at me. And I'm like, Whoa. And then he just cracked up laughing. Like Jones put me up to this. Jones put me up. I was like, dog got it. So, and Rick and I have gotten along just great ever since your baptism. Your, uh, your, 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 I mean, I was literally quaking in my shoes. Your bad boys baptism, Tim. I love it. That's fantastic. He's Tim Elkhorn. He's on Twitter at Cavs Elkhorn, A-L-C-O-R-N. Tim, this has been such a treat. Best of luck throughout the year. Won't see you tomorrow. I'll see you when you guys come down here um next and uh and thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it
Oh, Jake, this was a lot of fun. Uh, great storytelling and congratulations to you. Welcome to the uh, NBA radio broadcast play-by-play family. It's great. Thank you so much, Tim. Be well. We'll talk soon. Thanks, there he Jake. is, Tim Elkhorn, Jake Chapman here with you. This has been the Mostly Magic Podcast. We're back next week.